Hebrews 3, verse 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In that day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And so you know the story. Moses, the children of Israel, been in bondage for in Egypt. We saw the movie, right? And so there's the plagues. They see the plagues. They're going through those things. They see this great plundering. The, the Egyptians are finally, like after the whole last plague of the death of the firstborn, or just here's some, you know, take our gold and so just take it all, get out. And they're, they're miraculously plundering the Egyptians. They're leaving Egypt. They miraculously cross the Red Sea. They get to this place. It's an 11-day journey to the promised land. Promised land's going to be a wonderful place. God has told them, listen, hey, this is going to be a great place. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to, you're, you're going to move into houses that you didn't have to build. There's going to be vineyards that you didn't have to plant. There's going to be wells you didn't have to dig. I mean, digging a well is a big deal. I mean, we don't dig them by hand. I saw one in Israel. The opening to the well was like the size of a small house. Cause, and then it had stairs down to it. I mean, this is no small thing. I'm like, man, there's going to be wells you didn't have to dig. You're just going to move in. It's going to be fantastic. This is this place that God wants to take them to. And he even warns them, hey, when you get there, listen, don't forget me. It's going to be so great and so wonderful. It's going to be so easy that there's this danger that you might actually forget. Forget the Lord. Be careful. So he brings them out, and he brings them to this place 11 days. You know the story. Moses sends out 12 spies. The spies spy out the land, and they all come back with the same report. Absolutely. It's exactly what God said it was going to be. It's going to be, except this thing. Ten of them are like, yeah. You know, Josh, Joshua's probably like, yeah, let's do this thing. And the others are like, yeah, what about the giants? Like there's these giants. We're like grasshoppers. I mean, except for that part, it's going to be great. And those other ten people who are like, yeah, we're going to be like grasshoppers are all going, uh, kind of convinced everybody in the crowd like, yeah, I don't know. We're not doing it. We're not going in. One decision. And so they don't go in. God says it's an evil heart of unbelief. Look what he says here too. He says, listen, and they saw my works for 40 years. Verse 9, they saw it. They saw all these things. They saw what the Lord was doing. They saw the miracles. They saw that. And yet in verse 10 he says, uh, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. And that word for known is that intimate knowledge really between a husband and a wife there's an intimacy there he says they saw it but they don't know me they don't really know me and you can see the problem right because you can sit in church and you can sit around and be in Christian ministry and see miracles and see all kinds of stuff and yet you cannot know the Lord 
He says, Beware, brethren, verse 12, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. In the end of John's Gospel, he says this is really key, the whole book of John. In verse 30, uh, 20, 30, he says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you should believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Son of God, and believing that you may have life in his name. He's basically saying, I wrote these things down and this is good. This is enough. He only recorded seven or eight miracles. The least of all the gospel writers. And he says, I wrote this down. This is enough that you would believe that he's the Son of God and you'd have life in his name. This is good. You, this is why we tell people, you can read the book of John. It's a great book. You should read it. I mean, people tell me that all the time. Like, this is a great book. I'd buy it. People tell me stuff like that. I'm on email. Got it. It's coming. Be here tomorrow. Yeah. The book of John is a great book. You should read it. He says this is all you need. And you know, it's not sometimes we start to think about if I could just see a miracle, if I just saw some, oh, oh yeah, that would do it. That would really solidify my faith in the Lord. If I could just see him really, really work, that is not going to do it. <laughs> the Egyptian, uh, the, the Israelites, the children of Israel saw tons of cool stuff. And the Lord basically said they didn't do it. They saw it, but they didn't know him. It can happen to us. The same problem. And he called it a wicked heart of unbelief. The problem really is it's that faith. They didn't have faith. So he says, beware. Take warning. In verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of of sin. And sin has that ability to deceive. That it gets involved in our lives and all of a sudden we begin to rationalize and we begin to think certain things. We have certain ways and we are deceived by sin. And if you ever talk to somebody in sin, you realize this. You used to talk to them and you're like, you don't even, you are so far out. Everybody sees that this is a problem. And yet you don't see it yourself. Sometimes we're just, we're deceived by it. It comes in sneaky. And it deceives us. So we need to be exhorted daily. To exhort, to beg, to encourage, to appeal to, to console, comfort, cheer up, invite daily. Why? Because we need that. We need to be exhorted by one another. Daily. We need that exhortation, that push, that challenge, that inviting, the appeal to. Verse 14, Hebrews 3 says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold on, if we hold to the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in a rebellion. We have become partakers of Christ. Second Peter chapter 1, probably another one of those great chapters, one of my favorite chapters. But in Second Peter chapter 1, he says, uses the same sort of language. Starting in verse 3, he says, His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. All things that pertain, he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You're complete. You're complete in him. Ephesians chapter 1, you're complete. He's given you everything that you need. Like a little baby that comes out. You know, they just need to grow up. But they got the little fingers and little fingernails and toes. And they're a complete little package. Little lungs and little hearts. And they're just, all they just need to grow. And you're complete. You've got everything you need spiritually. We're not lacking anything. God's not holding back from you like, well, at some point, I'll give you more. You've got it all. We may need to grow. We may need to mature. But you are complete in Him. Ah, it's so great. What does he say? He says, listen, uh, so for life and all that pertain, a life in godliness, everything, everything that you need, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. So that's the word of God. He comes along and says, listen, I've got these great precious promises. They're great promises. And the reality is, you know, Peter's really, I think, the only one who uses this word precious, and I don't really use the word precious very often, ever. Actually, never. I've never used it. I don't use it for anything. I don't see a little puppy and go, oh, isn't that precious? I just don't do that. It's not one of my things. But Peter, and he seemed like kind of a tough guy too, so this is a weird word for him, I I think. But I don't know, because I wasn't there. But uh, he says these promises, they're great and they're precious. Man. See, there's some great promises in there, and we can hear those things, and we can believe in those things, and, and we understand those things, and we hear the Word of God, and we read those promises, and go, well, yeah, that's pretty cool. And they're great. They're fantastic. But when they become real to you, that's a different story. Now they become great and precious. They become ownership for you. They become your verses. Then you sit back and say, no, 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 that, that's mine. I use that one. I remember uh, our, we, our youngest daughter, when she was 10 or something, it was her birthday, and she got on a bike and got a new bike for her birthday, and she went out riding, and she came back, and she was covered with these bruises like she had been beat up with a baseball bat. I mean, it was just crazy looking. My wife got worried. I wasn't worried. I just looked and was like, huh, that's weird. But she's like, she's got to go to the hospital, man. This is bad. I'm like, I don't know. Well, luckily we listened to her. And she goes to the pediatrician. The pediatrician orders a blood test and is like, you know, you probably need to clear your schedule because you're probably going to go to the emergency room. It's like, oh, oh. You start thinking about all the potential blood diseases and leukemias and cancers and, and your mind begins to wander and run and it just can run like crazy. And somebody came to us and says, listen, you need to take captive those thoughts because you don't know anything yet. And just that, that, that little verse of that little thing, you know, it's like, you know, that, wow, that, you know, it's okay. Okay, yeah, you're right. And that's how the, the, the scriptures and the Bible comes into your life and now gets used at a, a point in time that you go, oh yeah, that's a great promise. I can, I, can, I can hang on that one. She turned out fine. I, I was, she was fine. 
Great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So it's an escape. So the Word of God, His promises become that escape for us. We escape to a lot of things. We have this tendency to do this thing. When things get a little tough or I have a little busy day, and where do I run? When I'm stressed out, when I'm freaking out, where do I go? Where do I run to? Sometimes it's TV. People will say this. I just, I just need a movie. I mean, I get it. Okay, I get it. I, you, know, you have those days. Your brain is fried, and you're like, I'm not, I just need to do something brainless, which would be you know, watching TV. I've mastered this one so I can speak with authority. But there's an, a, there's an escape here. There's an escape. And I want to build that habit into my life that I run first to the Word of God because this is a powerful book. And if I'll run there as my first thing, people are looking for all kinds of ways to escape, whether it's through drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, or maybe an old friend, or I'm just going to unload, or I'm going to vent on so-and-so, my butt. And when you call your friend and you vent out, and that's your little thing that you... But we need to run to the Word. These are great and precious promises. I can escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. I can escape this world and find the Lord. That's His desire for us. All right. So he says, back in Hebrews, he says, again, he says, today if you hear His voice, you know, don't harden your hearts as it is the third time he said that. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. Chapter 4 of Hebrews, he says, Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith those who heard it. For we have believed, uh, for we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Therefore the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Therefore the promise remains of entering us, let us therefore fear. Now this word fear is not the kind of fear that paralyzes you to do nothing, but it's the kind of word that fear that says, I, am, I don't want to miss this thing. I, I'm a little bit nervous. Your boss calls you for a meeting for a giant promotion. And you're running late. And you're like, oh, yeah. there's a certain amount of fear in some, that kind of situation. It's like, man, if I miss this, this could be bad, right? This, I don't want to miss that thing. And there's sort of this idea that says, listen, their the, the promise remains of entering us rest. Let's fear that some have come short of it. There's a kind of like, we don't want to miss out this thing. There's, there should be sort of the, 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 the good sort of anxiety that draws us into this place. The promise remains of entering his rest. Now it says the gospel was preached uh, to them as well as it was to us. So in the Old Testament, 
the gospel. Gospel means good news. So they were really looking ahead to a coming Messiah. And they would, just as we are, living by faith, put their faith in a coming Messiah that someone's going to come. He's going to be the, uh, the Savior of our Savior of our sins. And so they would look forward to the cross. We look backwards in time to the cross, and the good news is that Jesus Christ has died, rose again for my sins. And so we look back to the cross. They look forward to the cross. It, we're both walking in faith. Now, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith those who heard it. We know from Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith I cannot please the Lord. So it's this faith, and he says that faith has to be mixed mixed in. So once you hear it, now it has to be blended, it has to be mixed with faith, otherwise it really has no effect. We will be those who saw but didn't know him. The word that they heard didn't profit them. It had no profit. The only way the word can have profit is with faith. And God desires us to have faith. God desires us to take that step of faith. It's a step that's not sure. It's sure of what we hope for. Certain of what we don't see. It's this kind of faith that says, now I take the word. And Because sometimes we look at the word and we hear the promises of God and we go, well, that doesn't make any sense. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing? I mean, you can look up those Greek words. It just means nothing. Be anxious for nothing. You should be worry-free. That's the word of God, worry-free. So I come along as I'm anxious and as I'm worried, and I go, well, I mean, it's going to take faith. And I have to mix that with faith. Otherwise, I can't be obedient to the Scriptures. Otherwise, I would just sit back and say, well, they, those guys were crazy wrote that. Who put that down? The Holy Spirit. Whoa. <laughs> All right. Holy Spirit. All right. It's what he says in the beginning, right? In verse 7, we read it there, for the Holy Spirit says. He, he didn't say it was, it was David in the Psalms who said. He didn't say, hey, let me just quote David, Psalm 95. He says, the Holy Spirit says. This is the word of God. It's the spirit of the Lord now. See? (laughs) We have sound effects and the word of God. Doesn't get any better than that. So you might be asking yourself, man, how how do we get faith? Well, great question. Glad you asked. The Bible says... Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Romans ten seventeen. right? How do I get that? Well, there's a mystery there. To me, I don't know. As we take in the Word of God, it builds our faith. As we hear, as we listen, as you take it in yourself in your personal time with the Lord, your faith is built. As you sit here this morning, as we go through the Word of God, verse by verse, your faith is built. As you listen to a Bible study on the radio or on a podcast or something like this, your faith is built. If I don't do those things, if I don't participate, my faith doesn't grow. We've killed a lot of plants at our house. I mean, they need water, food and stuff. I mean, it's just the way it goes. If you don't water them, guess what? They die. 
If you want to know how to do that, you can come over. Check it out. It's pretty obvious. My wife leaves town and says, did you water my... She gets home, she says, did you water my plants? I'm like, plants? Like, we have those? We need to water them? No, I didn't water the plants. They're all dead. Sorry. All right, verse 4, chapter 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this place, there shall... They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter, and to those who it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today after such a long time as it has been said, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. And there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. And so here's this idea. So he uses this idea of rest in a couple different ways. He's exhausting the word, really, because he's going to talk about the promised land, which is that place of rest. And now he's going to talk about... um, this other rest. And he talks about God, you know, what happened on the sixth day creation, six, day six, what happened? Come. Created man, right? So he creates Adam. Big pile of dirt. Says he was formed out of the dust of the ground. He breathes Adam into life. Morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening, day, six days, morning and evening, creates Adam. Day seven, God rested from all his works. Adam is now on the scene, first day. Okay, God, what are we going to do today? What are we going to do? I feel like a new man. Well, that's because you are a new man. <laughs> what are we going to do? I mean, there's a garden. You want me to work? What are we going to do? No, we're going to rest. We're not doing anything. The first time I, I served at YDI, the, years ago, I was actually out there for a couple of years and... Uh, just come from a busy ministry and just just wound up, man. I was just busy, busy, busy and got to this place and had moved in. And, and I told the boss, the guy who was running YDI at the time, Roger Voss, and I said, hey, okay, I'm all moved in, you know. Uh, what do you want me to do? It's like nothing. Wouldn't you have, love to have a boss like this? I know it doesn't happen very often. But I said, what do you want to do? You know, nothing. Yeah, but really, no, 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 just, just chill, take it easy. Huh, that's weird, I'm not sure what to do with that one. And it was an interesting time, because it, it really took me like six months to unwind. <laughs> but it was like the Lord spoke to me at that moment, and he said, listen, if it's just me and you, is that going to be okay with you? Because I'm busy in ministry, busy doing stuff, always doing. And I've got this thing, and this is, you start to identify with the ministry or the thing that you do or the good works that you do, and that becomes your thing. And, and sometimes now I'm, I'm separated from all of that, and it's, I'm just left by myself. It's just me and the Lord. And I really call it getting bored with the Lord. It's like there's just nothing else. Is it going to be okay? This is this relationship that I want to have with you. I want to have a relationship with you. Not with you and 
a bunch of stuff that you're doing. That's not what it's about. Your identity is in me, the Lord would say. Not with that thing that you do. That's not who you are. So Adam, first day, God breathes into him life. They're going to have fellowship. And interesting, too, if you go back to Genesis, not now, but later you can go look at that. That seventh day never ends. It ends the first six days, day and morning and evening, morning and evening. Seventh day just goes. This is God's heart, right? Fellowship with Him forever. Unending. This is what we were born. We were born for eternity. We were born to live forever in fellowship with the Lord. We're going to have eternal life. Sin comes in the world. It's a big deal, right? Because sin is death. That was just not the plan. It's like death enters, and that's a big thing. When Adam and Eve are in the garden, they take of the fruit. They immediately know something's wrong. When sin comes in, man, and they hid themselves. They, something changed in their relationship. Man, I want to be that sensitive to sin in my own life. When I sin or when I fall to the flesh, to, ah, ah, we've gotten so comfortable, right? We can get so comfortable and so callous in our relationship. We can just live in sin and try to live in both places. It doesn't work, actually, at all, really. We think it does. We think we can live in both places. We think we can have a double life. We think we can be successful hypocrites. It just doesn't work. All right. Verse 6, he says, Therefore it remains that some must enter in those, uh, to those whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Romans 14.7 says, But righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. And that, that pattern, righteousness, peace, and joy, that is always the pattern. That's always that order. And we're seeking that rest. We're seeking peace with God. Everybody wants that. We want peace. We just want rest. You'll hear people say, ah, oh, man, if I could just stop for a second. If I could just rest. If I could just, man, life is craziness. We want peace. But it, it comes. It, it's, it's really a fruit of righteousness. That's where that peace comes. That's where the real rest comes. It's because of righteousness. It's because of obedience. Because of their disobedience, they don't get that rest. They don't get to that peace. And so while we're all seeking it, it's really like we're seeking the fruit without the obedience. Yeah, I want the, and it's really that thing. We want to find that rest or peace with God. So in verse 11, he says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And of course, if I go back to Second Peter chapter 1, I mean, he starts the same, same sort of thing here. He said, verse 5, he says, But for, for this very reason, giving all diligence to add to your faith, to virtue, to knowledge, self-control, self-control to perseverance, perseverance to godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love, for if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be diligent. Be diligent to add to your faith. What does he say? He says, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. There's that, there's that pursuit. That, man, we've got to press in. 
And he says, listen, if you'll add to your faith these things, knowledge, self-control, kindness, brotherly kindness, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, kindness, love, if these things are yours and abound, you'll neither be barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of him. This intimate relationship with him will bear fruit in your life. You'll neither be barren nor unfruitful as you know him. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be more even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That entrance, that abundant entrance, is, is really like an Olympic entrance. That's the, the picture of that Greek word. Is that's Olympic, that you're going to this supplied this entrance so that when we walk into heaven, it's ah, the sound of the crowd. The great cloud of witnesses. Yes, you made it. Well done. I watched the end of a Ironman triathlon thing when we lived on the beach years ago and got to live on the beach for a little while. It was awesome. I had a triathlon. I missed the beginning and sort of. And so I'm just out there watching the end of this thing. Got my coffee, donut watching these athletes come across the finish line. And, man, it was fantastic. Everybody's cheering me. And especially the very end people, not the winners, not those people, but the very end. These people are just finishing, you know. I mean, it's like pulling oxygen tanks across. They're just trying to get across the line, just trying to survive this marathon that they had. And just, ah. But the announcer's got this, like, portable announcer booth that was real high. And I, I don't know, I, I, I think they know their numbers. They see their numbers. And so, and people are crossing, not in big bulks, just like one by one. And I think they read their numbers, figured out their name. And they were calling out their name before they got there. And they're like, they're using this kind of language. Well done. Good job. Well done. You finished. And they're crossing the finish line. They're like, yeah. Everybody's cheering for them because like they finished. They're the losers. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, really. It's like, I was just like, I could do this. I could lose. Look at the welcome I get. I don't know if anybody was around when the winners get there so quickly. I was like, there's no crowd there at all. I guess. I don't really know. I wasn't there either. But Man, he says, listen, well done. Good job. This is the entrance that's going to be supplied to you into heaven. This world's not our home. This isn't it. This is a dot, a speck, a wisp of time, a vapor, and it's over. Sometimes we're living for this life. We want the crowd in this life. We want to hear the crowd. Yeah, it's a good job. And the Bible comes along and goes, no, 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 that's not it at all. Actually, it's not this life at all. Actually, they're not going to cry like that for you. You're not going to get that kind of reception in the world. The world's going to despise you. You're not worthy of this world. But you're worthy of him. And when we pass from this life to the next life, yes. And that's what we're living for. We're looking forward to going home. This is not it. It's home. Heaven is our home. We should be thinking about that every day. I remember my father-in-law is from Hungary originally. Still got that thick Hungarian accent. And I remember <coughs> sitting when we were first married in his house 
got this awesome grandfather clock. I think we bought it for him. That's why it's awesome. But And he'd look at the time on the clock, and he would go, oh, it's like 6.30 at home. And I don't remember what the time change is, six hours or whatever it is. And, and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm like going, it is not 6.30. He goes, no, home, you know, hungry. Now, he hadn't been there for 20 or 30 years, but he's still thinking about his home, where his mom lives. That's home for him. Go back there. For us as Christians, I don't know what time it is in heaven. It, there is no time, I guess. I get to go to a place where there's no time. Never going to be late. It'll be exciting. <laughs> looking forward to heaven. Looking forward to that place where I get to be with you. Where I get to trade the body in. No more tears. No more crying. Just get to spend eternity with the Lord. It's an intimate relationship with Him that bears fruit. Be diligent to pursue Him. Okay. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, to the division uh, of soul and spirit, division uh, and joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes to whom we must give an account. The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. God wants to speak to us through his word. Second Timothy, First Timothy three sixteen, Gaul scripture is God breathed. Jesus breathed into Adam life. God spoke to Adam, breathed into him life. Jesus tells his disciples, he breathes onto him and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. All scripture is God breathed. It's is the word of God. It's it's the very breath of God. It's alive, it's living, active. It has a pulse. God wants to speak through his word to you and to me. It's a living, breathing book. Sharp, piercing, division of soul and spirit. Joints and marrow can go all the way in. It's an intimate relationship that he has. There's no creature, and notice how the language changed. We're not talking about just a book. There's no creature hidden from his sight. Not its sight. The word of God is living and powerful and there's no creature hidden from his sight. We get away with nothing. There's nothing I can do in secret. There's no dark place. There's nothing I can do without anyone knowing. You can fool the people around you. You can fool the people I live with, but not with the Lord. The Lord sees it all. He knows it all. He has an intimate knowledge of who we are. It's a great thing. And it, and it should be a scary thing at the same time to realize that you get away with nothing. This is what we, we had five children. This is what we told them all of their lives. You get away with nothing. 
Now, some of the times I was saying, I know all things. Which, to a five-year-old, you do, right? There's nothing you're going to get away with. When you grow and get a little older and you're on your own and the real testing of your faith begins and you get out of the house, when life begins to start, you know, the Lord's watching. It's a great thing. It's to pray for our teenagers and they get caught. I'm going to pray that the Lord catches you in your sin. It's a great thing to be caught in your sin. Really stopped. It's the blessing of the Lord to be stopped in sin. When we're stopped, great. Young person, I uh, came to this place in my life where I was involved in a lot of criminal activity and breaking into stuff, and we were planning this to break into a home where there was a lot of guns and we were figuring out how to get around the alarm systems and do this thing. Unfortunately, pretty good at that sort of thing. And, and uh, really was the next on the list. Go in and steal a bunch of guns. For why, I have no idea. And then the police showed up at my house. I'd heard they were coming. My friends were all getting arrested out of high school, put in handcuffs. And there are two detectives at my house with a list of everything that I'd ever done, stuff I'd forgotten about. And I was stopped, caught, frozen. Prayed one of those prayers at that point in time, Lord, if you get me out of this, serve you forever. Total lie. <laughs> totally ridiculous. But that's what we do, right? We say stuff like that. I mean, I guess technically it Sort of turned out true. Took a while, though. We want to be stopped. The thing with the word, sometimes it can, it can be penetrating. It can penetrate down, so you're kind of like going, yeah, that was wrong. If this is true, therefore, I might have to change the way I think or the way I act. I might have to do something different. A lot of times, we just close it and we set it back on the nightstand and we just leave it there. And we don't open it again. A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I got, went to the mailbox and got two letters, both addressed, handwritten, to David Bulmer. They were from my two children. They're at Calvary Chapel Bible College in California, and I thought, I am the subject of an assignment. I can see this. Someone has told them to write me. I can tell. Open these two letters, and that's exactly what they started with. Sorry, this is assignment. <laughs> We were told to write this letter, and so I'm going to write this letter to you. And they were awesome letters. They're the kind of letters that just I want to encourage you and love you and thank you and ba da ba ba. Cried. I think I was home by myself, and I set those letters down on the kitchen counter and walked around doing stuff. And you know what happened? I read them again. A little while later, kind of came back to that place and I read them again. The Word of God is this really like that love note. The Lord says, I love you. 
I want, I want relationship. I want to speak to you. And I've given you the word of God to do that. There's great and precious promises contained in his word. When I was dating my wife, you know, we've been dating for a little while, and, you know, there's this thing, like, those words haven't been spoken, I love you, in our relationship. So we're kind of rolling along, and obviously really like each other, and we're dating and doing this thing. But those words haven't been spoken. I'm not sure I want to be the first one to say it. I'm not sure how this is going to happen. But, you know, one time, I must have been caught up, and I said it, I love you. And I remember thinking as the words came out of my mouth, oh, what have I done? I can't believe I just said that. It's like, oh. And you know what happened? She said nothing. It was complete silence. I'm like, now I really feel like a dork. I'm like, oh, I love you. I'm a big doting guy. And just like, oh, my gosh, I've just blown this thing. Just like I felt so stupid. I reminded her a couple years ago because I kind of forgot about that. And I was like, remember that time? And she, 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 oh, yeah, I remember that. And then she started laughing. <laughs> my gosh, it's nothing. Why? Because that's the kind of thing we want to be reciprocated. We want to make sure that if I'm going to say I love you, I'm, I want to make sure it's going to come back to me, right? And if I'm going to ask for marriage, I want to know what the answer is before we get there. So, and the Lord is really the same way. I mean, he's given us his word. He's really given us his love note. And sometimes, how do we respond? Can you imagine if my kids are going to come home here in a couple of weeks? If they were to come into the house and there were those two letters from them next to my chair where all my junk is and, and they were unopened, I mean, I'd probably scar them for life. Actually, I should try that to see what happens. No. An unopened letter? What? Never read? What? Are you kidding me? I imagine part of that whole, this great cloud of witnesses that we're going to come in contact with when we get to heaven, there's going to be some of those guys. They're going to show up to you like, hey, I'm Hosea. Did you read my book? Uh, uh, well, hey, there's Paul. Hold on. See <laughs> Well, let's, uh, let's finish up. Verse 14, Seeing that we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was at all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when do I come in? When I get it together, when I have it all together, and I'm just going to, now, oh, yes. Can we have that tendency? I'm just going to, I'm going to get my life right. And as soon as I get my life right, man, then I'm going to be a stronger Christian. Then I'm going to serve. Then I'm going to do that. No, no, he didn't say that. He says, you come, come boldly in. Okay, I got to tell you a quick story. Um, my dad 
We lived in Florida when I was a little kid, and my dad owned his own business. He was the president of the company, so he had the big corner office and the big desk and secretary outside that desk, and, and my job was to mow the grass. Now, mowing the grass in Florida, and especially in a Florida swamp, is, is tough business, right? Because there's some mosquitoes, and, it's, and there really wasn't grass. It was more like dirt, and so I'm mowing. And it's a hot 95-degree, 100% humidity kind of day, and I'm sweating profusely, and I'm mowing this dirt cloud around me, and I'm just, you know, sweat's caking on the outside of me, and the mosquitoes are jumping. I've got so many mosquitoes, because you're kind of hitting the swamp water, because he built his building in the middle of a swamp down there. And after a while, you're just like, whatever. And you're just taking these scissors, just killing them as you wipe off your arms. But there's this sort of blood and dirt from the mosquitoes, and it's gross, and I'm 12 or something. And, and my whole body is sweaty and covered in sweat and soaked, and I'm dirty. And, and I finish that, and I go in to get my $6. And I, you know, the receptionist knows who I am, so I walk past the receptionist, and I go down to my dad's, take the left, and go down to my dad's office, and he's got a, the secretary there, but she's not in. She's nobody there. So I just roll into my dad's office, and I sit down in the big chair, big leather chair, the big desk, and I do what I always do. I start rifling through the drawers looking for candy or money so that I can go buy candy. So I'm kind of in there rifling, and I'm dirty and gross and disgusting, and my dad's secretary was off that day, and so there was a fill-in lady. And she came in, and she's, you can just see the shock on her, but she's like, no idea. She's looking at me, and like, what a gross 12-year-old, like going, why? She doesn't know what to say. And I just go, he's my dad. I just go, oh. Can I get you a soda or chips? Yeah, be great. <laughs> take, it. take all that stuff. Anything you want to bring me, it'd be fantastic. I have access for only one reason, relationship. It's the only reason I'm in there. It's the only ways I can get in. But not because I'm clean and beautiful looking, because I am ugly. I am nasty. And the father says, listen, why don't you come in? When you come in, come in. you can come in boldly. And all the filth and all the nastiness is going to be all right. I will clean you up. Listen, there is no counselor. The Lord knows you so well. He knows intimately who you are. He's known your whole life. He knows what family you grew up in. He knows everything about you. He knows your hurts, your failures, everything. There's no counselor on earth who can, who can compete with a God of glory. I mean, he knows you. And he loves you. And says, hey, let's have an intimate relationship. I wrote down this book, it's living and active and powerful, and I want you to enter into this place of rest and this peace with me, and it's through righteousness and, and holy, and you're going to have life, man. It's going to be abundant life. It's going to be great. But that's where it's found. He says, come on in. You come in just the way you are. You just come in. Do that. Don't wait. Well, we're going to pray. Maybe you are not in that place that you'd like to be or that you once were with the Lord. Your relationship is not there. And I think the Lord today would say to you, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Come into him. Know him better. He'll take you back.
And um, if that's you, then simply pray and say, Lord, I want, I want to come back into that place. So, Lord, we do come before you, and we do ask that you would I mean, accept us. We thank you for forgiveness. We want to come into this relationship with you and hear your voice and know you better and speak to our hearts, draw us in to that intimate and quiet place of intimacy. I pray this week that we would be different, that we would change, that you would begin to speak through your word, that we would begin to open it and hear your voice. If there's those here who have hardened their hearts and been afar and been distant, Lord, I pray that you would bring us back to that intimacy. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.